Thought maybe you boys might be interested in putting on a big-time wrestling bout. You know, make a nice hunk of dough for yourself. It's time to Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Morgan, you're out of here. You don't have the right temperament for the trade. You're a dead man. What am I supposed to do? There's always barber college. Frankie, I know you're a great wrestler, but my brother, who ain't as handsome as you, is as strong as Charles Atlas. Yeah, but I've wrestled women that are bigger than him. Sure, you got fat, sloppy women. Hello and welcome back to Camel Clutch Cinema, the podcast where we talk about movies that star wrestlers or have wrestling in them. I'm Guy Hutchinson. And I'm Craig Cohen. And on this week's episode, we are continuing our discussion of Be Cool, as well as uh, sort of paying tribute to the late author, Elmore Leonard. Very nice. So uh, when we last left this ridiculous movie... (laughs) John Travolta was showing up at home and Steven Tyler is on the TV and we're just getting him going. Sometimes you got to. It's weird. It's this weird special that I hope was not taped for this movie, but it's like some crazy interview that I would love to watch all of. I've, uh, I've often told people, including you, that I'm not a fan of Mm -hmm. Aerosmith's music because of his singing. His singing voice doesn't sit well with me, but Mm -hmm. crazy Steven Tyler (laughs) talking about going babidi ba. I want, I want to watch that forever. I want that on a loop in a room in my house that i can go to at any time when i'm feeling low to watch this this guy is dead and he appears to be enjoying this yeah it's um uh, i guess a a guy sitting at the desk he's he's sitting uh upright uh, with a blank expression on his face or so uh, I thought he was dead immediately. Now, it's hard yeah. for you to remember back to 2005, mm-hmm. but immediately I was like, so the guy's dead? Yeah. This is not the first time in this movie where they do the whole, I didn't leave the TV on. Yeah, <laughs> Let's yeah. Let's go look into this. Mm-hmm. So he's he's bleeding on Travolta's posters, and so Travolta kind of pulls the chair out and kind of just rustles him out of his chair. Yeah. He falls to the table, and then King Kong Bundy shows up to help. Yeah, another character created solely for the movie. In the book, um, well, Travol- let's, let's first say this is not really King Kong. No, Bundy. no. It's a it's bald, ba- heavy yeah. set, not nearly as Bundy sized, but a bald yeah. guy. Go on. Yeah. In the book, uh, basically, Travolta, uh, Chili Palmer, engages. Um, the the black cop from the beginning that was with De- Debbie Mazar a lot more. Um, they have a handful of scenes together in the book, and he calls that cop up when he finds the dead body. And basically, what they do, what he does with the the the, the baby Bundy is basically <laughs> what what he does with the cop, which is basically get his wallet so he can get his ID. And there's a whole sequence where he tries to convince the cop that it's not a bad idea. He just wants to see what it is so he can get a better idea of of why somebody was coming to kill him and then was killed himself. This, again, I like this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. But I'm not following this plot. I really didn't know what was going on, and I didn't really care. I only cared about the music plot. It felt like there was too much going on in this. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, I think it was one of those things where they tried to s- stay too true to the book and completely lost their way. 
you can do this in a book. There are some things that don't translate well to films. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what you really need to do um, is 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 not is is find a way to keep the essence of of the story um, and just and just go from there. Yeah. Um, especially when you're when you're adapting a book that's you know you know over three hundred and fifty pages long. I have heard from a very successful uh, uh, author that one of the keys is to figure out what needs to go, mm-hmm. which I think is 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 very interesting. It's what you've got to get rid of to make yeah. a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I felt that this maybe would have made two movies better than than one movie, but this plot, I was having a lot of trouble understanding what was going on at many points. I didn't know who was feuding with who and why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I actually think um, in in the in the book at this point, Chile has had an encounter with the Russians that sort of prompts them to send somebody to kill him. Um, and I, and if I remember correctly, that's completely absent from the movie, and a Russian just is at his house who was there to kill him. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So we go to uh, Vince Vaughn, who's ridiculous in this movie. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, we see the writer uh, in, in the scene before this. And The Rock is is one of those characters who there's not much to say about him. But I really mm-hmm. felt he was great in every every visually, you know, when he was on the screen, he owned that screen. Yeah, he is definitely um, one of one of the, if not the biggest highlight of this movie, and I think it's the fact that the, the character, from a physical standpoint, you know, was was hit, you know, was basically written with him in mind. But at the same time, he wasn't afraid to sort of run with the flamboyant nature of the character yes. as well. Whereas in the book, he he's he's in book in the movie, he is um, bisexual, if not straight out gay, um, and and The Rock wasn't afraid to sort of play that up, which I thought was really, really, um, you know, kind of, you know, brave of him not to, not to make it sound like that's a brave thing to do in a movie. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of wrestlers that would, you know, you know, go make a movie. And if there was any hint of any kind of, you know, you know, gay story in, in their background, they'd say, Hey, let's, uh, let's lose this. But I, I will say that more likely in 2005 than today, but yes, I, I, I definitely see your point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that if they were making the Darren Young movie, <laughs> everybody in WWE would line up to to star as Darren Young. Well, yeah, you would just get John Cena, though. <laughs> <laughs> so we get Vincent Pastorelli showing up yeah. in this movie. I love him in this. I he, couldn't tell who he was, and I was like, I yeah. know this guy. Yeah, the late Vincent Pastorelli, who uh, – this might be one of his last movies. Yeah. Um, he is uh, extremely miscast, in my opinion. But he is so good. There's uh, an intensity in his performance at a point uh, where Vince Vaughn uh, basically makes an ethnic slur about him being Italian or, or says, what if I did make an ethnic slur? Now, is and, that in the book? Because in the movie, it says, what if I called you a biatch? It, well, no, in, in the book, it gets a lot more heated. Um, OK, but but in the in the movie, he's like, you know, he says, oh, I say you're you're, you're his bitch. And, and Vince Vaughn goes, well, what have I called you a biatch? And okay. he's like, well, then I'd take a bat out of my yeah. car and I'd bash your face in. Now, I'm mm-hmm. saying to you, is okay. this different in the book? Yeah, I, I must have gotten the book in the movie conf- confused. Sure. In, the, in the book, um, it, it's a Vince Vaughn is playing in the book. It's a black character, so um, Joe Loop, the Pastorelli character, pretty much makes um, 
you know, he, you know, he, he uses some ethnic words about, uh, Vince Vaughn, uh, about Raji. Mm-hmm. And then Raji comes back and makes some ethnic Italian slurs, um, and says, what if I, you know, what if I, uh, said that? And, and, and so it's, they sort of, you know, cherry pick that scene for the movie. Um, but I, I loved Pastorelli's reaction here. Um, and I know he almost played it like the scene in the book, which might be why I, I sort of responded to his performance so much. But he takes his glasses off and he just stares at Vince Vaughn with this this look that is just, you know, it really puts Vince Vaughn off. And Vince Vaughn says, well, well I said, what if I said that? Not if not actually said it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's I mean, we see Robert Pastorelli. In this diner, in this scene, uh, he owns this scene. Yeah. And I thought, and, and you say he was miscast, do you mean based on the character in the book or the character in the movie? Because I thought he was this character in this film. Yeah, no, I, I do too. And and the funny thing is, in, in this scene, um, they're at a diner and he's sort of chewing uh, coleslaw with his mouth open. Yes, I love and, that. And in the book, um, the Joe Loop character sort of seems like a, um, you know, an older sort of Italian guy that's sort of been, you know, uh, really seen, you know, the rough side of life, almost like probably a, a boxer who's been beaten up a few too many times. He, you know, he's not an attractive gentleman and um, eating the eating the food with his mouth open is sort of just further illustrates, you know, how hard he is to look at. And in this movie, with the exception of him chewing with his mouth open, Pastorelli's not a hard guy to look at. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I just think it was it was one of those things where knowing the character from the book and then seeing that Joe Pastorelli was playing him, I said, well, that doesn't work. But he completely turned me uh, to the point where I said, wow, he did such a good job with this role. I forgot how he was supposed to be in the book. And I, I just want to say, yeah. and this is a camel clutch cinema trade. We're all over the place with this guy's name. This is Robert Pastorelli. Yes. I believe <laughs> I've called him Vincent Pastorelli. You've called him Joe Pastorelli. And we've killed two other people because <laughs> Robert Pastorelli is dead. Yes. Vincent Pastorelli is still alive. And, and Joe Pastorelli, I think, runs the deli near my house. <laughs> and he'd be very mad if we were talking about him this way. So let's just... Wait, Get who, that so straight. who's Vincent Pastorelli? Vincent Pastorelli's the the big guy that was on the on the uh, Sopranos. Oh, okay, he's yeah. alive. This yeah. is the guy. Robert Pastorelli died prior to the release of this film uh, from New Brunswick, New Jersey. A yeah. fantastic actor who who died way too young, forty nine yeah. years old, and who steals. I mean, for me, uh, this was one of the things where I was like, "Who is this?" And I was like, "Is yeah. that Michael Madsen?" Is that I was mm-hmm. trying to think of who this could be, and then I looked. It up and I was like, the guy from Murphy Brown, the guy yes. from I, I I remember he was in Dances with Wolves. I mean, this okay. guy, you know, is it was phenomenal in this, and I yeah, couldn't yeah. I couldn't believe him. So that's that is who we're talking about, regardless of what first name we attach to Pastorelli. That's who we're talking about. Goodness, I could almost imagine that whole uh, scenario. If you play that back, you could probably put Dusty Rhodes commentary over it. <laughs> Um, and that's how that whole conversation probably played. It probably played like a big dusty finish in WCW. I just picture like, you know, somebody in Vincent Pastorelli's family downloads the episode. They're like, he died? I didn't know he died. Call Vincent's wife. Della was so sorry. And then you go into your deli uh, yeah. next week. They're all crying. 
I'm like, what happened? They're like, they're like, Joe's dead. And I'm like, Joe's over there by the not worst. And they're like, but he's dead. We heard it on your show. Yeah. You know what? It's, 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 it's good that you caught it because at no point did I think I wasn't. I knew who I was talking about, but, but I didn't realize was, I was using You and I were name. both saying different names. And then when I remembered it, I was like, well, let me say it a bunch of times. That'll clear things up. And then you said it again. <laughs> you went with Joe. But I was going Vincent. So we were all over the place. And it, it doesn't really matter. It's a great scene. We got Vince Vaughn, you know, over-the-top silly, but Robert Pastorelli over-the-top awesome. That's the way yeah. I felt during Yeah, it's one of the better – it, it it might be one of the best scenes in the movie just because Pastorelli, uh, his level of intensity um, when things get hot is so high. And basically this scene – Yeah, no, I Vince, believe it. I believe that Vince mm-hmm. Vaughn's character might get killed in this scene. Yeah, and Vince Vaughn is hired. He hired uh, Pastorelli's character to kill Chili. Yes. He's the one that shot the Russian. Yeah. And basically in this scene – Vince Vaughn comes back to him and says, you shot the wrong guy. You need to, you need to go back and kill the right guy. And Pastorelli, uh, Joe Loop's character, basically says, okay, this is a new contract. Give me more you money. owe me another five grand. Yeah. I mean, th- this is – I thought this was – I thought he was great because he's a character that if you're paying attention, he should be on the low end of this deal and he's on the high end. So, yeah. you know, very, very cool. On the other hand, the next scene. Cedric the Entertainer and company show up at the recording studio and brandish guns on the recording producer, on Uma Thurman, on John Travolta's Chili Palmer character. I don't believe that any of these guys are pulling this trigger except for Andre 3000 who might pull it by accident. Yes. I mean, Another character who was created for the movie and might be the the best addition um, to the movie in terms of characters. Yeah, I, I, I like his character a lot, but uh, yeah. Cedric the Entertainer. This is the wrong movie. This is not mm-hmm. the movie that this character should be in because I'm not worried for anyone in this scene or the later scene where he's got a gun on somebody and where his guys got. I don't, I don't, I don't buy these guys as threatening. Yeah, and that and that's the overall sort of problem with this movie is stuff that in the book gets really sort of ramped up and you get really worried for certain characters. In this movie you never get to that point because it sort of has such a, a you know a, a different tone with certain characters. I think one of the reasons might very well be what they're joking about at the beginning. I got the DVD here forget shorty. It's rated mm-hmm. R. Yes. This is rated PG-13. This is one of those movies where they're doing a sequel to a movie and they're hoping to hit more people than they hit the first time. They're hoping to get more people in the door, sitting in the seats, watching this than they did with Get Shorty. Yeah, yeah. So and we, and they, don't this also scare, came... they don't want to scare people. They don't want Suge Knight on the screen, who is a scary man. <laughs> Yeah, and this also actually came out quite a few years, probably almost ten years after Get Shorty as well. Mm-hmm. And I and I think it, it's it's interesting that they even, you know, tried to even connect these movies in terms of you know Be Cool being a sequel as opposed to just Be Cool being another movie with the Chili Palmer character right. because it seems like you said they were going for an entirely different audience. Yeah. And the other funny thing is, um. Elmore Leonard, he writes books, you know, from an adult perspective. People curse, people do bad things, people have sex, all of that. And I, I think you get mainly his his readership was mainly adults. Um, so you'd think that if you're going to adapt one of his movies, 
that's who you're going to make the movies for. But yeah, it, it really wasn't the case. But the most successful Elmore Leonard movies are the ones that sort of cater to that audience, like your Get Shorty or you're out of sight. Well, you are absolutely correct. It is exactly 10 years, 1995 to 2005. Box office-wise, Get Shorty did a very respectable $72 million back in 1995. But then jumping to 2005, Be Cool did $56 million, which is, is a huge step down. Yeah. Coming 10 years later when movie prices had been jacked up significantly. Yeah, I think at that point, too, Travolta in 95 was about as hot as he'd ever been. Right. And I think by 2005, he had, he had sort of cooled off. That was post-Battlefield Earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I can't remember, you know, um, uh, oh, this was before Travolta started making those family comedies like, uh, you know, you know uh, Old Dogs or... Oh, sure. Yeah, no, this would have been before that. Yeah, I think that, mm-hmm. was, that was, I think, because of stuff like this, you know. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. He started making Old Dogs and doing the voice for Bolt and, yeah. you know, uh, uh, doing, you know, other movies like that. He, he did do uh, Taking Up Pelham 123, the remake, but oh, Wild he Hogs. Was so great in that. Hairspray. This is yeah. all after Be Cool, whereas yeah. before Be Cool, he had a lot of, I mean, okay, so let's see. You go back to 1995, right? Mm-hmm. He's fresh off Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, he follows this up with Broken Arrow. Yeah. He does, uh, you know, Phenomenon and Michael, which both made a lot of money, goes yeah. back to action and does Face Off. Yeah. Uh, and, and then things start tapering off, you know, when he's we, he's racking up movies like uh, Thin Mad Red City. Line, where he's barely in. Uh, Mad City, sure. Uh, yeah. A Civil the, the, Action. Yeah, that was... <laughs> That was the uh, the Dirty Water movie, and I I remember yeah. we 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 had some kind of recurring joke every time we saw that trailer in the theaters, and I can't remember. Uh, no, what it I, is I now. know exactly what it was. Oh, okay. The the joke was a civil action. <laughs> he was doing the Barbarino voice. <laughs> yeah, and then the other joke um, that we had during that movie, and I don't remember exactly how it went, but there was a line. Oh, I know what the line was. It was the it was the line that that I think uh, Sam Jackson says to Bruce Willis says like F Pride. Uh, yeah, yeah. In in Pulp Fiction, and there's a line in in Civil Action where he's talking about pride, and you must have said that line twenty times <laughs> as we're watching it. I keep going, "Shut up! This movie's yeah. serious. These kids are dying from this." Yeah, water. I remember. I loved that movie in the theaters. That's the only time I've ever seen. Yeah, it. I mean, but he yeah. did other movies: The General's Daughter, uh, <laughs> Lucky Numbers. Basic. Yeah, basic, like, you know, yeah, basic. basic uh, the which Punisher, was a movie I really, really loved. Yeah, yeah. Ladder Forty Nine. Do you even remember that one? That was the 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 one with uh, Joaquin Phoenix, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I never saw that. Okay, but I mean, that was right before this. That was his film just before Be Cool. So, okay, he had you know he had some some movies in there that we definitely enjoyed. But mm-hmm. I mean, because I remember Lucky Numbers is a lot of fun. But I mean, this is not you know the Travolta of ten years earlier, and that may mm-hmm. explain a lot about the box office. But this uh, this film has a very very different tone. And it's a film that's trying to be a very different film. And that's what I felt when Cedric and his his goons show up at this recording studio. Yeah, I mean, going back to the write-up from the film, I I don't know where we got that from. But that sort of sums up the overall tone of this movie. It's hilarious. Yeah. And look how hip it is. It's it's got the (laughs) hippest music ever and the hippest cast. 
<laughs> and it's about to get a lot hipper in a couple of scenes. Oh, yes. Well, before <laughs> that, though, we get The Rock's probably his biggest scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's him and Vince Vaughn in the car. Vince Vaughn calls him gay, and they argue and fight in the street. They, You know, it's a lot of, why don't you hit me? Oh, well, don't hit me. No, because you're The Rock. But, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I, I wouldn't say that, but I would say that. There's a lot of arguing back and forth about whether The Rock's character is gay and yeah. whether he should be a goon, whether he should, you know, go into acting as he wants to. Uh, good stuff. Travolta breaking into Keitel's house. I feel like in this movie I've seen this happen already. We see yeah. people break into other people's house and then slowly stumble upon them again and again. Yeah, yeah. Vince Vaughn kills Robert Pastorelli in a parking lot with a baseball bat as The Rock looks on. Yeah, and this is a, a major difference from the book, in my opinion. And 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 um, this is one of those times where I said they wanted to make pretty much everybody look good. At this point, they've established Vince Vaughn's one of the bad guys. Um, but in the book, um, the Vince Vaughn character and the Rock character both do it. Uh, Elliot gets plenty of blood on his hands in the book oh, in this scene. I thought you meant okay, because the Rock's character Elliot is mm-hmm. is gay or bisexual yeah. in this movie. When you mm-hmm. said they both do it, oh, <laughs> I, no, I'm I, not kidding. Uh, but no, you're saying that that he's he takes part in the brutal beating of this man with a baseball bat, and instead he like is like, oh, stop, yeah, he's dead, yeah. Yeah, in, in the book, they basically, um, and in the movie, they, they have a, a really f- sort of funny conversation with Joe Loop. Um, you know, The Rock pulls out the uh, the aluminum baseball bat, and Joe Loop goes into this whole discussion about how bad aluminum baseball bats are for, baseball. for kids playing Little League. Okay. And how it, it basically no, screws up their... It screws up their swing. Yeah, that's because, that's almost completely out of the book. Yeah, and then uh, the movie sort of deviates from there when they have Vince Vaughn just hit him with the bat a couple times, and then in the book he he shot in the back of the head two times, um, and and in the movie Elliot is sort of just a uh, an unwitting uh, accomplice, if you will, and they make him look. A lot better in the movie than he than he does in the book, and that's one of the things that Elmore Leonard does so well in his books is he can have these characters do really bad things, but you're still seeing them as human beings, so you're not going to like them, but at least they they sort of ring true as characters. Whereas as in the movie, they were like, oh, we can't have the Rock's character do this because a majority of the audience won't be on board with him by the end. Yeah. Um, college baseball, they still allow the aluminum bat. And you see so many players knocking those balls out with those yeah. aluminum bats. And then they come up to the pros and all of a sudden the ball doesn't fly as far <laughs> as it used to when you were hitting it with a big old hunk of aluminum. Yeah. No. Yeah, so, but yeah. So why would you do that? I mean, if, if you had any kind of real serious aspirations to be a pro, a pro ball player, wouldn't your, your coaches yeah. and your, your advisors say, Hey, you know, maybe you should start using a Louisville slugger. No. Yeah. It's true though. Um, they, they've, uh, they've changed the requirements for metal bats so that they're closer to wood bats over the past few years, uh, which has 
brought back the number of of you know home runs and you know uh, balls hit way out there but i mean that's that's always been the thing and there's been so many you know home run guys that you know have been brought up that it's like hey those balls they're really not flying like they were in high school or college yeah i i like that in this movie and i like that they multiple times reference that it's an aluminum bat yeah, and and I think in the movie and and the book he references that he wanted a red bat. Yes, and also I think um, that the the aluminum bat was cheaper than uh, you know a good quality sure. uh, wood bat. So we get Uma and Travolta dancing to the Black Eyed Peas. What in the holy hell is going on in this movie, Craig? It's definitely not something that Elmore Leonard wrote. I'll tell you that. This is, I mean, this is just, they're like, hey, remember when we danced in Pulp Fiction? Let's that was do that totally, again. That was totally what this was. And as a big fan of Pulp Fiction, um, this scene was uh, almost embarrassing for me to watch. I felt bad for everybody involved, including the Black Eyed Peas yeah, what, and Sergio Mendez. Why are, <laughs> why are the Black Eyed Peas in this movie? I don't know, and they're in a, a small club too. Whereas at the time, the Black Eyed Peas were one of the biggest acts, Come on. In, uh, you know, on the planet in terms of popularity. So, is this a private club? <laughs> um, is this a private party? Is this a club that me or you could have gone to yeah. if we had dressed up in sort of zoot suits? <laughs> I, I just don't know. I don't understand this scene. Um, I I don't get anything about this. I will say that I have a thing. When I see a Travolta movie, I wait for when he's going to start dancing. Oh, yeah. And you always that get it. A, yeah, that was a thing post-Pulp Fiction where – Every movie, no matter what it was, mm-hmm. he found a way to dance. You know, you're watching, you're watching Face Off. You said, "Oh, I, I can't wait to see him dance." And then you, in Face Off, you almost got this, you know, you know, Nick Cage playing Travolta. Um, so you got this whole weird, yeah. It was one of those things where no matter yeah. what the movie no. was, he found a way to dance. You're watching Primary Colors, where he's essentially <laughs> playing Bill Clinton, and you're like, "Well, there's not going to be a dance number. Bill Clinton wouldn't be dancing anywhere." And then they're at a barbecue, and he's like, "Hey, how about a bust a couple moves for?" everybody here you're like what what on earth is going on yeah it was a weird thing where i think it was in his contract they were like you know we gotta have him dancing that's how people know him and if he doesn't dance people aren't going to recognize him yeah yeah like that's what made pulp fiction so successful yes yes (laughs) which in pulp fiction it was a callback to sort of his you know his saturday night Night fever you know days it was almost a, a a rib if you will yeah so we get this uh, pawn shop subplot. Can uh-huh. you explain this? And don't get too gra- uh, detailed. Yeah. But I didn't understand this subplot. I didn't get it. I backed it up and I looked at it again. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what they're doing with these guys. I don't even know who these guys are. And when they yeah. finally die at the end, I'm like, thank God. So I don't have to worry about them. What's the deal with the pawn shop? The pawn shop pretty much plays the part of the um, airport locker from Get Shorty. If you remember Get Shorty, that whole movie sort of ends with um, a character getting arrested for retrieving uh, something out of an airport locker. And they basically steal the ending of Get Shorty for the ending of Be Cool, which is not in the book. Ah. the book has a different ending, and here they were like, oh, we'll, we'll use the same ending from Get Shorty because it works so well in Get Shorty. We'll use it here. Okay. So basically in the book, um, Chili plots the Russians and the, uh, the rappers against each other, and they basically kill each other in a Mexican standoff, and they both exit the book. 
Um, here, they're both kept around, and we get this silly pawn shop subplot that exists solely to get Harvey Keitel in, in the pawn shop at the end so he can get arrested. Right. Yes, exactly. It makes no logical sense, um, and it is it, it, in no means uh, <laughs> Elmore Leonard's work. <laughs> ah, very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about The Rock trying on clothes? Is this in the book? Um, I, I don't know if the scene uh, so per se great. is – but there's there's mention of his clothes uh, in the book. A lot of times they'll detail what he's wearing. In one scene, he's wearing a red tie, right. and then the next time you see him, it's sort of one of those uh, what ascots. Yeah, that sort of Charles yeah. Nelson Riley yep. used to wear. He's wearing like a red one of those. So his dress is talked a lot. I'm not sure if in in the book there's actually a scene like this, but in this movie, this scene really really worked for me. Oh, it's it's wonderful. it's rock. You know, the rock trying on a you know some. Some pretty you know, tight shirts, pants. tight pants, yeah. and keeps looking at a cowboy slapping his behind and doing the. <laughs> yes. Um, let's talk about the Rock's look in this movie. I, I mentioned that he's dressed for most of it and doesn't show off his muscles until the end, uh, yeah. but he's got a hairdo in this movie that I've never seen him with. I love this hair. He's got kind of a natural hairdo. Yeah, I, I almost think it had to be a, a, a wig, wig, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I think it's but, it's very possible because I've mm-hmm. never seen his hair look like this. And it looks perfect in every scene. In this scene where he's trying on clothes, he couldn't look more debonair and, and he doesn't he doesn't look like The Rock. You almost forget it's him when you watch the movie. Yeah, yeah. So we get a Laker game. They throw in the Lakers for no good reason. Is this in the book? No. Um, in the book, Aerosmith are playing the Staples Center. Okay. Um, and there's a handful of scenes where they they go backstage or, mm-hmm. or the days leading up to the show. Yeah. Um, and they, they sort of interact with Aerosmith. In the in the movie, they sort of con- condensed it all into um, basically surprising Steven Tyler at the Laker game. Uma Thurman's character hasn't called him up. Chili basically got them tickets next to Steven Tyler, and they're hoping that Steven Tyler remembers Uma's character. I remember you, and you did such a good job with the laundry. What <laughs> detergent did you use? Jasmine water. So silly. <laughs> I got to tell you, um, back uh, a couple years after this movie came out, uh, 2009, uh, a, a friend of mine got married down in the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. So uh, we all went down to, the, uh, to Nassau, Paradise Island. To, uh, to for the wedding, it was a destination wedding, and one night um, we're all down there, and this was uh, the, the Paradise Island. Uh, they have a casino, okay. so we're we're in the casino, and we're sort of in that area that's you're not on the gambling floor, and you're not out of the casino yet. You know, it's like a hallway basically with a you know, probably a fountain or something. Um, so my friend Jim, he, uh, he he says, "Hey guys, that old lady over there looks like Steven Tyler." So I turn around, and sure enough, it is Steven Tyler. So I said to him, no, that old lady is Steven Tyler. And he was surrounded by a bunch of people. He was posing for pictures, and he was all Steven Tylered out. I mean, he had, you know, on the fancy clothes and, you know, the crazy hair. Um, But, uh, yeah, so that was my, uh, you know, I I, I stood 10 feet from Steven Tyler as he uh, was mistaken for an old woman. We uh, we also get in this scene Anna Nicole Smith with Danny DeVito on the kiss cam. Yeah, and you know what? I had to double check uh, and make sure that was Anna Nicole Smith because um, I wasn't sure if she was dead yet. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't really reference that as her. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was, and she died two years later. Um, yeah. I think this was, in terms of Anna Nicole Smith's career, I think this was before the big blow up when she became the, you know, the biggest thing on, on television. I think like E put her on, you know, in the, right around this time, maybe. Yeah. And Howard Stern, her lawyer, Howard Stern. Oh, that's right. Howard K. Stern. I do remember (laughs) that guy. Um, so yeah, it was interesting to see her. She has a, a very similar cameo in the Hudsucker proxy, which was towards the beginning of her career. So, uh, mm-hmm. it was interesting to see her. I always get a kick out of her and I'm sad that things, uh, fell apart the way they did. Uh, but, and we might be able to talk about her on a, a future episode. Oh yes. Illegal aliens with her yes. in China. Yeah. Uh, they, immediately convince Steven Tyler to sing with Christina Milian. They say, you know, he's like, so what were you thinking of when you wrote Sweet Emotion? (laughs) And then he's like, I think you were thinking about your daughters. Why does Chili Palmer know so much about everything? What is this explained in the book? No, in in the book, there's none of this nonsense where he analyzes why Steven Tyler wrote um, Sweet Emotion. Uh, Is Steven Tyler a character in the book? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Aerosmith are characters in the book, um, but they're you know they're they're not you know major by any means. They're you know they're a means to an end. Um, but here um, we get some really bad Steven Tyler acting, where <laughs> yes. he I guess he has to pretend um, that he did unconsciously write sweet emotion about his his two daughters, um, and and it's really some of the the worst rock star acting I've ever seen in a movie. It's bad, and he's like. <laughs> He's got to deliver some bad lines, though. To give him some credit, he's got to be like, I don't like being in movies. You hear that, people in the audience watching a movie? <laughs> it's bad stuff. Um, yeah. But he, he's convinced that he should just have Christina Milian on stage with him. So yeah, and- he will. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's you know, it's it's one of those movies where that kind of thing happens. Yeah. And in the book, uh, her her group opens for Aerosmith. She does not perform a song with them. Yeah, no, no, no. This is an, a, oh, her, a group that Chili, Chili puts together for her after she breaks away. And that's not in the movie at all? That, that no. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I, think I can see why. That would be too confusing, but okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, instead, uh, in the movie, in a couple scenes, we'll get her just on stage jamming away, man. <laughs> yes. So, Which some people really had to sit through. Yes, some people were at an Aerosmith show and they're like, ah, Christina Moyan's here. She's going to sing a song. Everybody pretend she's not Christina Moyan. Okay. Yeah, as we do this song probably six times in a row. That's right, yeah, from different angles. Yeah, you know there were guys that went to work the next night. They were like, the Aerosmith show was terrible. Oh, uh, I, I one time I saw a Barry Manilow show where he was recording it for a DVD where every few songs he'd stop halfway and he'd swear. And he'd be like, guys, I hope you don't mind. We're going to just do that part again. Oh, wow. And have you have you seen the DVD? No, I've never no, oh. bothered. But yeah, I mean, multiple, I, I wish I could remember exactly when. But first of all, to hear Barry Manilow swear on stage was off-putting enough. But I can he, imagine, yeah. I mean, he'd constantly be like doing a song and then decide whatever happened. And, and most of the time, I didn't even know what went wrong. You know, mm-hmm. it was like the camera tracking him wasn't following close enough or whatever. And he'd be like, all right, everybody, we're putting a uh, DVD together, brand new DVD, and you guys are part of it. And they're, woo! He's like, so we're going to have to do that song again. 
and then he'd do it again. And, and it was a normal length show. You weren't there any longer than you, you would have been if it was a regular show. Ah, uh, it's a tough call. I don't remember, but I, I do remember. Um, I do remember hearing songs not five or six times or anything like that, but hearing parts of songs twice and a, and and a couple songs, hearing them in their entirety more than once. That's awesome. That is a very cool experience. It definitely makes it a, a memorable show. Yeah, I, I, I should try to uh, see if I can dig it up, but I, I won't remember the moments. But I just remember being like, I'm hearing Barry Manilow swear on stage and, and get really irritated. Uh, it's awesome. And, you know, the outtakes are out there somewhere. Uh, Somebody's got them, you know, on a on, on their computer. You know, the guy, you know, one of the you know, one of the guys who edited that all together. I will say as a total side note, uh, but I once went to go see uh, Drew Barrymore on Inside the Actors Studio. And for some reason, a light kept burning out as she was talking. And it was like he asked this question and then the light would the, the light was, you know, the, the camera would switch to her. Uh, and the light would come on for her and then it would burn out and she would uh, then, you know, they, he'd say, Oh, let's do it again. And she'd laugh. And they did this over and over and over and the light kept going out and, and it was so weird. It was some technical problem. And then he was chastising the audience and he was like, uh, people, just because the camera goes to her, please do not laugh. We have to get through this. And she's like, no, no, the light went out, you know, and they're like, yeah. they're talking to the tech guys and whatever. And I just remember Drew, every time it went out, would get up and dance or something. <laughs> and every time it went out, uh, uh, the guy who hosted inside the actor's studio would get more and more irritated and his beard would get angrier. <laughs> so uh so anyway uh the rock breaks into travolta's house i love this the rock does a <laughs> scene from bring it on it it may be stretching the credibility of the character a bit though yeah because basically chili asked him to do a a, a monologue mm -hmm. um and he basically does two sides of a female conversation from bring it on. Right. And after it's done and the rock does a really good job there. Um, you know, Chili basically says, Hey, you know, in the future, a monologue is, you know, sort of one unbroken bit of dialogue from a movie and you should probably do it as a male character. Yes. And also on the screen is him looking very much like when oh, uh, yeah. Darius Rucker of Hootie and the Blowfish did Burger King commercials. Yeah, so they come in and Elliot is watching himself on a, on, on a DVD, yeah. and he is dressed exactly like that. Uh, what the Cheddar Ranch? Yeah. It was uh, when my belly starts a rumbling and I'm jonesing for a treat. I close my eyes for a big surprise: the tender, crisp bacon Cheddar Ranch. And that had to be around the same time. I, yeah, I when I saw this, I said, that. "Oh, they're doing a, a takeoff on that." commercial with Darius Rucker. Yeah, it was very weird. And so he is is on the screen singing, you're not woman enough to take my man. Yeah. And so he's so Chili Palmer says to him, he's like, maybe you should do a song for a guy, too. And Rock's like, OK, yeah. all right. So Rock goes from about to kill Travolta to just being talked down to where he's just going to leave. Yep. So Travolta and Uma set up everyone. Everyone gets set up. Mm -hmm. The plans are in motion. There's King Kong Bundy drops off some blueprints or something. Things happen. There's tickets for the pawn shop that are given out. There's all kinds of shenanigans going on. And all I know is this is going to end with, with things happening the way Travolta wants them to. 
Yeah, and I think that's exactly how it was written in the script. Mm-hmm. Travolta and Uma set everyone up. <laughs> we get a showdown. We get Vince Vaughn out a window, which is very much like the uh, possibly urban legend, possibly actual moment where Suge Knight held uh, Vanilla Ice out a window. Yes, um, and, and and basically had him sign over the rights to Ice Ice Baby. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, this is something that's that's hotly debated. And, you know, Vanilla Ice says this didn't happen, you know. Yeah. And and Suge Knight was probably in jail when Vanilla Ice said it didn't happen, so he didn't have reason to worry about him. Uh, Yeah. So I'm not sure if it happens, but it happens in this movie. Yeah. Uh, The guy with the rug comes in and throws around some racial epithets and gets his head blown off by Cedric the Entertainer and his guys. Yeah, and this is where I, I really start to have a problem with the movie because this whole showdown takes place in Harvey Keitel's character's office. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a shootout. Uh, multiple people die, and then we never hear anything about it again. Yeah. Um, I'd like to think if somebody came to my office <laughs> um, and left and there were a couple dead bodies in my office – right. There'd be some kind of follow up on sure. it. And here it's kind of just characters die and we're just supposed to forget about it. Aerosmith does their big concert. Christina Milian joins them on stage. All is well. It looks like she's going to be with Travolta. Travolta and Uma go to bed. They yeah. have their, their bed scene. And then Cedric the Entertainer breaks in and plays some Bob Dylan. And again, I'm not worried that he's going to kill Travolta. I'm not surprised when Travolta talks him out of it. Yeah, yeah. This was a very sort of Elmore Leonard-like scene. This doesn't occur in the book, but basically Cedric's looking at the uh, Biograph album by Bob Dylan, and they're playing Knockin', Knockin' on Heaven's Door, and he says that um, Knockin' on Heaven's Door made the album, and Travolta says, well, too bad it wasn't recorded for this album. It was recorded for Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid soundtrack. Right. And then uh, Andre Benjamin chimes in and says what a great movie that was. Um, it, it's, a, it's a cool scene, um, but it's like you said, it's not a scene where you're worried for anybody. You're at a point in the movie where you know, you're wrapping things up. Sure. And I think the problem here is just that Cedric, the entertainer's character, is a joke. He's a clown, and he is not the character that they're trying on some level to make him to be. On another level, they're trying to make you laugh when he's on the screen. I'm not scared when he's pointing a gun at someone. Yeah, it almost seems like um, he played it a certain way, Mm -hmm. and and it almost seems like... the same way he plays everything else? Well, yeah, it was. Well, that's the thing. I mean, um, it would have been interesting if you saw like a Michael Clark Duncan sure. with this terrifying script. guy. Yeah, big yeah, big guy know. who can do comedy, but can you? You're scared of him, Kingpin from Daredevil. You, you're scared or, or of him, he, and he's funny. Yeah. Or can you imagine Zeus in this role? Oh, I can. I can imagine Zeus in every role. In every. But movie. I mean, in the book, I would have pictured Zeus before I pictured. Cedric the Entertainer. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny, when I was rereading the book, I had forgotten that Cedric played this character. So I was thinking him more as like sort of looking like DMX. Ah, interesting. Um, And then when I put the movie in and I saw Cedric's name in the credits and I said, I totally forgot. So, Which is good and bad because it spared me reading this book and picturing <laughs> Cedric the Entertainer. Yes, indeed. So they come to a deal. We get a music video. Vince Vaughn is set on fire. The Rock dance, dances at some kind of award ceremony. We see all his tattoos. We finally see him with no shirt, which 
I feel like we should have seen very early in this film. He's doing a dance where I expect him to be like, when I say, ooh, you say, oh, ooh, so. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was definitely uh, it definitely made me think of the Usos. And it was another thing where they just tried to to make sure that they they fit everybody in it in at the end. And you yeah. saw that everybody sort of had their happy ending, except for um, the characters who didn't live to see the end of the movie. That's right. So we get a, uh, uh, a Kidman and the Rock on a poster, not Billy Kidman. It's Nicole Kidman. <laughs> and they're doing a movie called Samoan Rendezvous. Uh, it ends with the song Hollywood Swingin', which uh, uh, the horns from this. Uh, were stolen for the song Let Me Clear My Throat by DJ Cool. So this Cool and the Gang song was sampled by another song, which was then used by the Blue Meanie, and that's when he would do his dance in ECW. You'd get the... And that was from this song. So as soon as I heard this, that's that's what I always think of when I hear this song. Oh, that is great. So tell me, are there any other differences between the novel and this that you want to point out? And tell me your overall feeling on the novel. Um, yeah, there is actually, um, as I mentioned uh, earlier, there's uh, in the book, he is still in the movie business and he's basically getting into the music business as a means to generate ideas for his next movie. Um, in the book, he is not romantically linked to Uma Thurman's character. There is a, a movie executive character named Elaine who he basically plays the romantic, um, the romantic side of, 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 of his character. Um, and he actually has a relationship with this woman, Elaine, who's in a lot of scenes in the, in the book. Um, overall, the book is a good representation of, of Elmore Leonard's style. If you want a really good, you know, probably two, two or three weeks worth of reading, pick up Get Shorty and pick up Be Cool, read them back to back. Um, and you're, and you're really going to have a good time. Uh, and then maybe go rent, uh, Get Shorty, um, and, and check out Be Cool if it pops up on cable. But, um, I like this book enough to know that I wanted to read it again when I knew that we were going to do this, uh, th- this episode. Mm hmm. Very yeah. good. But uh in addition to that character Elaine being there, like I said, the, the the cop character uh plays a much bigger role in the book. And also the Linda Moon character, uh Christina Millian, her character is a lot more um developed in the book. In the book she goes from sort of this really headstrong artist who as soon as she starts to get uh, the slightest taste of success, lets it go to her head and sort of forgets um, why she got into the music industry. So uh, there's a lot more character work in the book. And, and of course, when you're when you have a, a novel length uh, page count to work with, you're able to develop the characters like that. Um, so uh, it's always interesting to read a book and then see the movie to see what was different and also to go back and see what you would have done differently if they had made the perfect version of the book for you. Oh, very nice. Yeah. So this came out in March of 2005. The Rock had retired from active competition after fighting Goldberg at Backlash in April of 2003. And did the job, right? No, he did. Yes, he went out on his back like he was supposed to. Uh, And and then the weekend this came out, uh, WWE had a house show on the 5th in Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, on the card, Kane defeated Tyson Tomko. Chris Jericho defeated Christian. Uh, Shelton Benjamin against Gene, Gene Snitsky, which uh, uh, kept the IC title away from Gene Snitsky, which would have been great. 
Uh, but it stayed with Shelton. Shawn Michaels defeated Edge, and Batista defeated Triple H and Ric Flair. And one month after this movie came out, we had WrestleMania 21. Oh, wow. Okay, which one was that? It was the 21st. All right. It wasn't... It the wasn't... one in 2005. Yeah, okay. That wasn't the one where they went Hollywood. That was oh, 20, think, right? I think it was 21. Yeah, 20 was gonna... in uh was in uh, New York City. So, Oh, okay, you're right. Yeah, yeah, so this was uh this was at the Staples Center, which plays a huge role in this movie. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah, a busy month uh for the, for the Staples Center from a, a <laughs> pop culture standpoint. Yeah, although really they had filmed they had filmed the other the other thing probably 6 months before, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, theoretically, the scenes from Aerosmith in this movie were filmed in 2004, not 2005, probably, yeah. or at least early 2000. Uh, yeah, they were probably filmed in, in, in 2004, right? They'd have to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, I mean, yeah, especially they if got Robert, at least three months, you know. Yeah, Pastorelli was around. And it was also the um, the Lakers were, were, were playing. That's right. Although, um, you know, yeah. you know, I don't, I always wonder how they do that. Do they really just film during a game? Do they get, you know, a bunch of guys that look like them? I did, uh, uh work as an extra, Kobe, right? What's oh, that? Okay. I, I, you see Kobe in that movie. Yeah. But I mean, mm-hmm. you wonder how much of that is shot separate from what is, you know, when oh, actors right. were out there filming their scenes. I yeah. was an extra in the movie Anger Management, and there's a, a scene in the movie where you see the Yankees and the Boston Red Sox on the field. But when yeah. I was there, they had a bunch of featured extras in uniforms with those players' uh, numbers on them. And mm-hmm. then what's cut together in the movie is footage shot on another day with footage with these other people on the field. So I, I wonder if that's kind of what they did when this happened. Yeah. And you know what? I am looking up Aerosmith's tour. Mm-hmm. For oh, that. very good. Well, and the weird thing is they did not play uh, the Staples Center. So I wonder where that was shot. On that tour, they did not play California. Um, they played here in Homedale, New Jersey. They played in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Um, they played in Atlantic City. Um, there were no, uh, California dates. And, and I remember the, the drum kit, um, said honkin' on the, the bass drum. And, um, so they were supporting the honkin' on Bobo album. Um, and according to, um, their tour itinerary, they did not play, um, anywhere near California. Ah, very. Um, in 2004. So, they probably filmed that at a different arena. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. That way, you know, they could they could probably film during the same weekend. Uh, I got it here. It was filmed. This was filmed at the Tweeter Center, Craig. Oh, wow. So uh, well, the, the Tweeter okay. Center is in, in New Jersey, am I right? It's, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, Philadelphia Camden. area. Yeah. Right? Camden, New Jersey. So that was where they filmed the the sequence on stage, and then they cut it together to appear that they were in a much bigger place, like the Staples Center. Wow, we've actually we've been to the the, mm-hmm. the Tweeter Center together. Yeah, yeah. So and I you would never, I never thought. Yeah, you would never buy this, but there's probably some computer fakery. But that's that's what the internet tells me happened, Craig. Wow, that is great. And I believe the internet when it when it when it tells me things like that. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, no, apparently, uh, uh, according to the IMDb trivia section, that's where they filmed this section of the, of the film. Oh, wow. That's, that's pretty neat. Yeah. It, uh, it says, oh, you know what? 
Craig, look at yeah. this. There's multiple tweeter centers. Oh, okay. <laughs> this was filmed at the Tweeter Center in Mansfield, Massachusetts on June 24th, 2004. Oh, okay. Yes, um, the night before they played Hershey, Pennsylvania. Yeah, so uh, that's interesting. Um, I'm not totally surprised. I, I believe Dunkin' Donuts had their names on more than one arena at some point in time. And I think, yeah. to be honest, I think there's another, uh, or at least there was another arena that Staples had their name on. It wasn't called yeah. the Staples Center, but uh, yeah. they, they slapped their name on it. But uh, that, That's what makes this all so confusing, where back in the day, um, and I hate saying back in the day, but you know, 10 years ago you could say, oh, uh, or 15 years ago, you could say, oh, I saw them at the Brendan Byrne Arena. Yes, exactly. Now you have to – it has to be whatever the name of the corporation. But yeah. just wait because one day it won't be the New York Mets. It will be the Tweeter Center Mets. Yes. <laughs> uh, that WrestleMania also had a very similar card to the house show. Batista defeated Triple H uh, with Ric Flair in his corner. John Cena defeated JBL for his first WWE championship. Uh, Aki Bono defeated the Big Show in that sumo match. And Kurt Angle defeated Shawn Michaels. It was, a, it was an exciting WrestleMania and one of the last ones in a small arena. Yeah, I think we had actually talked about that. Yeah, there's one uh, on more that they episode. did they yeah. did after this. Uh yeah, but this is this is one of the final ones that was was indoors in a in a smaller place. Yeah. So, somebody wrote on IMDb in the in the comment section, The Rock great performance or really gay? I'm guessing <laughs> the later. He means latter. Yeah. I think of all these years getting physical with half-naked men has turned the boy bent. Seriously, though, there was way too much talent in this movie for it to turn out this bad. The director should be forced to spend some time with The Rock. Oh, no. <laughs> Craig, do you tap out to be cool? Um, I will say that as a uh, a fan of the book and somebody who had gone in both times I watched this, having read the book, um, there was just too many things going on in this movie that um, – don't seem to ring genuine to me. Uh, the tone of this movie is a little off. And even though there's some, some good performances and some good moments, I, I, I have to tap to, uh, to, the, to, to be cool. I'm going to put it more dopey film that I didn't like. But I enjoyed <laughs> The Rock's performance. So if you like The Rock and you want to see him, it's worth checking out for him. But other than that, yes, tap, tap, tap. I tap out to be cool. Craig, any final words on Elmore Leonard, Be Cool, The Rock, and anything else in this film? Um, no, I would just uh, – if you've seen any of um... – uh, Elmore Leonard's uh, adaptations, um, Out of Sight, uh, Jackie Brown, Get Shorty, or Justified on TV, and you haven't read Elmore Leonard yet, um, it's never too late to start. Um, pick up any of his books, and uh, the other great thing about it is even if it's a sequel or has a character from one of his other books, um, you don't have to read his books in any kind of order. Um, everything will be set up for you, uh, and uh, if you enjoy... Uh, what you've seen on the screen, odds are you're going to love what he wrote. All right. Well, a tip of the hat to Elmore Leonard. He entertained people very much. Thank you very much for joining me, Craig. Thank you. This was uh, actually uh, a lot of fun and uh, very cool to sort of say goodbye to one of my favorite authors. Yes, indeed. And thank you for listening. And we say goodbye here from Camel Clutch Cinema. 
So you want to wrestle, huh? You're too little. We got ushers bigger than you. Leave. I got to take a crack. Don't you see? Your skills plus my skills in the ring. Tag team. Howard Patrols is John Triton. What are you doing up there? Staying away from you. No more rhymes now. I mean it. Anybody want to feel it? What's that smell? <laughs> Jimmy King! Oh my god, a four-post massacre! No one can survive this! This isn't even a pay-per-view!